millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. David here just before we start this month's extra episode. I'm in the habit of having guest episodes on the History of England since, you know, the world of podcasting is at least partly about enthusiasts sharing their true love. Some of you will know that I have been breeding podcasts as well recently. So there I was and suddenly it struck me, why should I not be a guest on my own podcast? Obviously there's something of a tree falling unseen in the forest about this who am I? Where is my identity? But whatever. History and Technicolor is a fortnightly podcast where Wolf and I talk about history movies and rate them for general awesomeness and historical accuracy. Here then is an extra episode just for you. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, History and Technicolor is available on our podcatcher near you or indeed on the historyofengland.co.uk. We have a vote and debate every episode and that is on the History of England Facebook group. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. And ooh, just before I stop, I had a cold. I'm really sorry about the cold. Hello, everyone. Welcome to History and Technicolor. This is David here, and... This is Wolf. This is Wolf. Hello, Wolf. This time we are doing the film Elizabeth. I got a bit confused when I was looking at it. This is the film, the first film, Elizabeth, made in 1998. Why am I doing proposing this film to you, Wolf? I'm proposing this film because... Having just done Braveheart, Elizabeth is as central to England's national myth as Wallace is to Scotland. So I thought I'd give this a go and compare and contrast a little bit. Uh, Probably, it, we've already done Henry VIII, Elizabeth as well. Indeed, true. 
Uh, and actually, Elizabeth is one of the characters in English history who's been less revisioned by historians than, than many other characters. So Henry VIII, for example, used to be a god, is now somewhere below the salt as a worm. Anyway, uh, I exaggerate for facts. So the film, uh, the 1998 film, as I say, nominated for seven o- Oscars. And I was going to say one, not a sausage, but it did, in fact, w- win Best Makeup. Clean. One sausage. One sausage. <laughs> yes, just the one sausage. Uh, ironically, Shakespeare in Love was at the same time and tended to win. When I was researching this, the previous year, I saw that this was the year when The Full Monty came out and didn't win a sing- any Oscars because it was Titanic winning all the Oscars. What an injustice that is. What an appalling injustice. The Full Monty, one of the greatest movies ever made, and Titanic. Anyway. I feel like I'm going to have to propose Titanic <laughs> on a future episode. Oh, please don't make me do that. I think, oh, I, I, think I would do it purely for the purpose of making you rewatch it. Just hideous. Don't make me do it. I'll leave the shed. All, all I'm saying is The Full Monty's great, but like no, the, the hardest thing to do is the men have to take their trousers down... Whereas in the Titanic, they, they had genius. to they had to create the entire ship, oh, the yeah, sinking. Right. But why did they the bother? Because it was effect. a really boring it was movie. Fun- but that last hour is phenomenal. You now know what it's like to sink in a giant ship that's flooding with water. All I'm saying is there aren't many laughs on it as there are in the full Monty. There is if you don't like it. <laughs> anyway, we digress. So. Indian director Shekhar Kapoor, who was told by his family to be an accountant when he was a lad, apparently, and he broke free, and after doing that for a while in, in England, he broke free and let that be a lesson to all your parents and children out there. You know, follow your heart, as long as you don't mind being poor. Lesson learned. OK. Kapoor does the follow-up to this mo- movie in 2007. He gets only two nominations. He also made Four Feathers and was accused of being anti-British, to which he replied that he liked the British very much. He was just anti-colonialist, which is a reasonably good answer. And on the evidence of Elizabeth, this is a man not averse to selling the big positive story of England, to be honest. Yeah, that seems absolutely ludicrous. Ludicrous. Uh, the writer is Michael Hurst, which I thought was quite interesting because I just I was reading a book when I did Henry VIII called The Creation of Anne Boleyn, and they did an interview with him about the Tudors. Okay, yes. And one of the questions was about the actor. Who's the actor who does Henry VIII? Uh, John Rhys Davies. John. No, Reece. wait, no, that's the guy who plays Gimli. That, uh, that's, well, you know, John Rhys. Reese Myers? Yes, like that? that's yeah. it. That's Jonathan Reese Myers. And they what? said, it's a very different movie <laughs> if your sex symbol is Gimli. Yes, well, you know, Gimli, I think he's pretty a director. Anyway, Jonathan Reese Myers and um, the author of this book, Creation of Anne Boleyn, which is a really interesting book actually about Anne Boleyn's image over the years, but again, I digress. Ask Michael Hurst why Henry VIII doesn't get older in the Tudors. And he said, because Jonathan Reese Myers wouldn't allow us to make him look unattractive. How pitiful is that from Jonathan Rhys Myers and from the writers who gave in to him? Fire him. Anyway, so this is again another digression, isn't it? And we said we were going to be shorter and tighter. Sorry about that. Okay, it appeared, this film, Elizabeth, it appeared on a list of IMDb historically accurate movies. David, you do know that these are created by. Anyone. So one person out there, just one person, has considered that to be true. Whoever that person was out there, they're a bug. Well, no, I mean, I exaggerate for a fact. Is this where you now go online and you troll them (laughs) through their account with a fake name? Oh, can I do that? Would I do that, obviously? You know, I I mean, it's not terrible, actually, I must admit. But, you know, if this is an example of the most, one of the most historically accurate movies, then we're in a lot of trouble. And we've already done the most accurate and all the rest we've got left to do. 
you know, anyway. So it's a fascinating period in, in both in history, of course, part of our national myth, you know, the great Elizabeth who pulls the nation together and in historiography as well, because there's been a constant running battle since the, the Protestant story was created by a chap called John Fox. John Fox, the Book of Martyrs, does that mean anything to you? No, tell me more. No, once upon a time it would have done. John Fox wrote a book in 1563, which was all about the Protestant martyrs, and in it he creates the basis of the English story as being, as being a sort of separate Protestant nation face set against the rest of a, a Catholic world out to kill them and destroy them and rub them out. And against that you've had a succession of Catholic historians saying, no, that's not the way it was. Catholicism was, you know, very strong and was providing a, the right background to the people and that this Protestant story is, is unfair. And that debate still goes on, actually. So it's a very interesting period. The story of the film, then, is how Elizabeth survives the reign of her sister, Mary. Um, and we start the film with this you know, burning of the three Oxford martyrs, which is a great story, it has to be said. Uh, but anyway, I won't tell that story. Actually, I remember a, an interview with a chap called Eamon Duffy, who was a very famous professor who transformed our understanding of the late medieval church, basically demonstrated that actually he was doing a pretty good job, uh, was the Catholic Church at the time. He said in an interview that Mary's great mistake was not to have Elizabeth killed, in a voice dripping with regret at the missed opportunity. This stuff still hurts, is my point. And it's true, it was a close-run thing, because there is a rebellion soon after Mary comes to the throne, chuck called Thomas Wyatt, and Elizabeth is implicated in Wyatt's rebellion, and it's a really close thing. Nothing could be proved, and Mary is too nice a person to kill her, so she doesn't. Mary was not too much too nice a person to burn 284 Protestant heretics, but then she did that to save their souls and the souls of the community. So there you go. It's then about how Elizabeth established herself on the throne, through a series of crises, conflict with Scotland, excommunication by the Pope, a move which has to be one of the most ridiculously stupid and heartless decisions in European history, both on Protestants and Catholics, and the pressure on her to marry and produce an heir. At the heart of the film, then, is this crucial dilemma, which is a real historical dilemma, of for Elizabeth, first to become a queen from having been a person, and secondly, the unique challenge of being a queen in Tudor times. Tudor times, the great chain of being dictated that God was at the top. Men were the representative almost. It's not quite like that. But in the chain of being, women were very low and their job was to, to defer to men. And yet here you have a woman supposedly being the head of state and everybody having to do what she says. And as soon as she got married, suddenly all the politics, all the gender politics gets messed up. And that's something that Mary really struggled to resolve. So these tensions are boiling away in the history. OK, so far? Yes, wonderful. So, the film. The first thing you're asking in this film is, where did Joseph Fiennes get those lips? Where did he get the lips? And can I have a pair too? Is that possible? You'd have to ask his mother? His mother, OK. I well, guess, and okay. his father? Well, if I can get a pair of lips like Joseph Fiennes, I want them. He might have to lose his in order for you to have them. That and that's a tricky situation. That is a tricky situation. Maybe there must be something to do with plastic surgery. Anyway, lovely lips. Um, David, I feel like you didn't watch this movie <laughs> properly. You think I picked up the wrong things? Okay. Yes. Uh, right. So, putting aside the question of historical accuracy for a moment, the story is compellingly presented, very lushly presented. 
Kapoor creates a feeling of genuine panic and danger, both for England and for Elizabeth. You think they're all in trouble. He does this by messing with history a little bit, but he does it by turning the volume up to 11, essentially, in the immortal words. So, Mary is a maniacal madwoman. Walsingham is a far-sighted, infallible enforcer. Walsingham is the head of the spy unit, by the way. Joseph Fiennes has unfeasibly large lips. Have I mentioned that? Joseph Fiennes is Dudley, who is the love interest. He's a, an earl. He's also the love interest. The, the Spanish are menacing. Mary of Guise in Scotland, who plays a part, licks the edges of knives when she talks to you, which gives the impression that either she likes drinking blood or she wants to stick it in you are or these something. butter knives? Uh, well, they're quite sharp knives. Oh, OK, yes. I don't know. <laughs> Just had to clarify. If this is a butter knife. Yes, I don't know if it, what, what it's That's less for. threatening. I think it's for sticking in people's throats, probably. Eric Cantona is in the movie. Do you remember Eric Cantona? Ooh, ah, uh, Cantona, do you remember him? He's yeah. actually in it quite a he's, lot. He's quite in it. He's actually, you know, he's not bad. He's not bad. The Duke of Norfolk is Christopher Eccleston, who is, of course, brilliant and northern and threatening. Which is quite interesting, actually. I read that Duke of Norfolk doesn't actually do anything at all. He doesn't actually do anything physical. So Kapoor said he had him rushing around and speaking in a really loud voice, which makes you think he's just about to do something and makes him menacing. Works really well, actually. It's claustrophobic. All takes part at court. The colours are dark. The costumes are astounding and, and brilliant. The environments are interesting and innovative. One of the environments is the most beautiful cathedral in England, which is, of course, Durham. Or the interior of Durham is, in my humble opinion, the most beautiful in all England. Did you enjoy the scene where they're riding the barge down the river? Yes. And it reminded me of A Man for All Seasons. Indeed. But it was really exciting. And I thought, yeah, look, Man for All Seasons is really good too. I thought to myself, it's my reaction. Well, I definitely did think about Man for All Seasons, so you've achieved something. <laughs> I hate you felt slightly guilty. No. Okay, uh, moving on then, we should do The rounding up of the traitor scene was really good. And then I read afterwards, of course, it re- reminded me that it was... In- Entirely based on The Godfather. Done greatest exactly film the of all time. Way, which is, of course, as you say, the greatest film of all time, apart from The Full Monty, obviously. The scene at the end, Chris, the end, where Elizabeth paints herself up was iconic and really well done. I mean, again, it's, it's fooey, really, because she develops that Gloriana image over time. But it's really good. It's a very good way of saying, right, this was the old Elizabeth that had love interests and affairs and was a bit innocent, and, and this is the new hardened politician who will give up the thought of her personal life for her nation. Yeah, it's, the, it's the perfect ending. It makes yeah. sense to do. It really does. It really works well. There's some brilliant performances. Kate Blanchett is brilliant. She's really good at showing her transition from this vulnerable fun lover to a hardened, effective politician, as we said. Jeffrey Rush is just astoundingly good. He's the definitive Walsingham. He's the Walsingham he want Walsingham to be. In fact, Walsingham doesn't really get involved until later in Elizabeth's reign. So again, it's largely fooey, but did it Dickie. Dickie Attenborough. He's really good at being a rather inaccurate William Cecil. But he's so cute. He's very cute. William Cecil was not a cute man. William Cecil hounded Mary Queen of Scots until he got her and had her killed. William Cecil is a brilliant politician, but he's not a cute, avuncular chap, which is the way he's played in the movie. Okay? Well... I'm really sorry about that. I still really enjoyed... Yes. Sir Richard. He was. He was very good in the movie, but he's just not, you know... Having said that, it flew by, but it didn't quite light my fire as a film. Not quite sure. It was very good, not quite out of the top draw. Something something inside me was screaming because of the various historical shenanigans. I never quite fully believed that sense of personal danger to Elizabeth. So there's a bit in the movie where... Is that because you know 
Your history. Yes, maybe. There's a bit in the film where Daniel Craig is a priest. In a way, it's quite an effective scene. He comes swirling with all his black robes and it looks as though he's going to get the Queen and all the rest of it. And I just thought that's silly. Okay. And actually, probably, it was quite effective, but I just thought, that never would never happen. The Queen isn't going to be alone in Durham Cathedral with this priest marching towards her. The Queen was surrounded by people all the time. It just wasn't going to happen that way. Just out of interest, do you think that it's possible? I know that he's physically represented there, yeah. but because she has the nightmare later on, the scene kind of feels like he doesn't. He might not ever even be there. Yes, that's it's, true. It's just yes. the impending fear yes. that they're out to get her. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's a bit like the Norfolk charging around energetically thing. They do a really good job of creating the sense of fear. There's a scene where she almost gets hit by a crossbow bolt and straight you know, and straight next to her. Apparently that did actually happen, oh, but right. it happens about 10 years later and it's just an accent because the boat said, oh, sorry, I, oh, Queen. You know. <laughs> Do you think that person was in trouble? I imagine so, yeah. Never heard from again. Never heard from again. Mm. The language is, it's quite good, but it's not quite there. You know, there are some good lines, so I wrote a couple down. The dead have no titles. I thought that was quite a nice one. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush is brilliant. He's very good. He's, he's absolutely slightly, fantastic. Do you think he sort of puts grease on his skin? Because he looks slightly ill and pale and terribly menacing. Anyway. And you had not the courage to be loyal. I thought it was quite a nice line, too. So, so, But it was, you know, it was pretty good. What did you think of the film as a film? We get oh. onto the history. I love the film. Yeah. I, th- I think it's really enjoyable. It's very, very positive. I so have better than a man for all seasons. I enjoy it more. Could anybody enjoy a man better than a man for all seasons? I mean, I have. <laughs> so presumably, I'm not the only person in the whole world. Better than the full Monty. The Sorry. full Monty doesn't Ignore do me. that much for me, but there you go. Anyway, as I was saying, <laughs> I've, I think I've only seen Elizabeth once, right. maybe twice, but I enjoyed it. I remember, I remember enjoying it immensely. So it was with much enthusiasm that I went back to watch it yeah. again. I think it's very entertaining. Right. Um, do I study it for its film techniques? Or do I want to learn more about that? No, it's not really doing anything in, in that side of things. Um, it's not the deepest movie, but for entertainment, pure entertainment, I think it's great. And I really don't roll my eyes like I do watching Braveheart, for example. Yeah. That's quite a chore, even though you know that it's for like entertainment purposes. I find Elizabeth very enjoyable. Right. And Cape Blanchett's so good yeah. that it's got all the right performances, and then the story is exciting enough, and then you're interested enough in the history to kind of learn more that it all kind of works together. Right. Brilliant. I mean, I think that's a yes, great summary. The three words I wrote were this. bloody, sexy, and thrilling. Whoa, bloody, sexy, thrilling. I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the film was a historical record. Okay. okay. So you tell me that it's not correct. <laughs> It is a film that is firmly placed in the English Protestant historiographical tradition. It is reinforcing, which is why I say that, you know, who could uh, accuse Kapoor of being anti-English, anti-British? It absolutely fits into that line. John Fox would have been delighted if he could resurrect John Fox. Say, look, mate, you know, go and write us a a movie. Uh, This is the film he would have written. Having said that, John Fox would have made sure it was a damn sight more rigorous because actually John Fox has stood the test of time. He checked his sources. So what he has written is not just hagiography, whereas Michael Hurst... Anyway, moving away from Michael Hurst. As a historical record, though, it, it deserves no place on a list of you know, the most historically accurate movies. It takes a series of liberties, and I'll go through a few of them, won't go through all of them. By and large, almost all of them, you can look at them and say, OK, I understand why you've done that. They're not the pointless kind of things I pointed out in Braveheart. You know, why 1280 rather than 1286? 
generally speaking, you say, okay, she, he does that because he needs to increase the, the sense of danger. He does that because these events need to be, are too telescoped and they need to be compressed for the pace of the movie. So Mary is inconsiderately painted. Mary is a very complex, interesting character in, in history, actually, very traditional, very... There is some sympathy in the way Kathy Burke plays her. You know, you feel the pain of her false pregnancies and the disappointment that she's going to fail and that her people will therefore be condemned to hell. But there's a lot of mania. The real Mary deserves a little more sympathy than this film gives her. Cecil was much younger and Cecil is, you know, has the potential to be considered as one of the greatest politicians this country has produced. Very hard man, very dedicated. Drawing him as a this kind of vuncular type figure is not right, but you can see why the film does that. And actually, he does it beautifully. You know, as you said, he, uh, it works very well. But he was as hard as nails, this chap, you know. You do kind of get his dedication, though, in the movie. Yes, you do that. Right. And actually, you get his obsession with her marrying, which is absolutely yes. accurate. The interiors are actually medieval, not Tudor, which is quite interesting. You know, they're cold stone rather than the kind of tapestry and um, wood-type interiors you get with Tudors, much more. Kat Ashley was in. Emily Mortimer? Yeah. She was in there. Kat Ashley's much older than that, uh, has been with her for many years. And it's a shame didn't make more of Kat Ashley, because that relationship's really interesting between the governess and uh, Elizabeth. The chronologists I messed around with, I mentioned the assassination attempt. I do need to ask, because you talked yeah. about the assassination attempts. There are so many in the movie. Yes. Um, and I was trying to look this up. Am I right in thinking that she was continually under threat from various forms of conspiracy and assassination? I think this is the thing that much... There is a, a specific hard plot, which is the Rodolfi plot, but it's more that Elizabeth was under constant threat and England believed they were under constant threat. So in 1570, the Pope excommunicates Elizabeth and this means that explicitly the Catholic Church says that Catholics have no responsibility to owe her any allegiance if the queen can, can be assassinated that would be a good thing so it's a very aggressive act and it condemns catholics in england to this terrible dilemma about whether they're loyal to the king loyal to the pope and no longer and the elizabethan settlement had been to try and allow them to be both look just go to church thomas more must have been rolling in his grave right good lord what tom would have thought about it <clears throat> um although there's a great film about thomas more anyway so, yes, England believed they were in clear and present danger, and more importantly, Cecil, all the way through, believed he was in real and present danger. The nice thing about the movie is that Elizabeth was nobody's fool at any point, in history and in this movie. In the end, she decides. In the end, she has all these people around her. In the end, she leads. She makes the decisions. And that's well represented in the, in the movie. So it's kind of okay. I mean, Dudley was never involved in a plot to assassinate Elizabeth. In fact, somebody speaks to him about the Rodolfi plot and he immediately goes and tells Elizabeth. And he remained loyal throughout his life. And actually, they remained reasonably close throughout their life. So were they lovers before? That's a fairly crucial question, actually. I'm sorry, I I should have mentioned that earlier. It's very unlikely. You can't can't quite... You can't disprove it. It's very, very unlikely. So it's plausible for kind of the purposes of the movie i would put it into the historical inaccuracy okay. thing of saying that it's there for dramatic effect it, clearly its purpose if, if it's not accurate is we know that her suitors from other countries are yeah. not going to be good suitors yeah. and she's going to be a strong leader so really her choosing to leave him behind yeah is really the signifying moment in her character development 
that lets you know that yes. this is what she's doing. Exactly. Her choosing to ignore some absolute moron yeah. from Spain or wherever. You see, that's a up. bit annoying, though, isn't it? That that irritated me a little bit. One of the reasons I'm like to know. The Duke of Anjou didn't exist. The Duke of Alonso, who she actually calls her little frog, turns up about ten years later, I think. There's a lot of stereotyping going on in this movie. Yes. You know, there's a lot of English stereotyping going on. You know, they're... Uh, Queen Mary is nutty. The Spanish are all are all threatening. The Duke of Anjou it behaves absurdly throughout and is and it's very not, entertaining. Very entertaining. Okay, he's entertaining, but wouldn't it have been a better movie? Obviously, I should never make movies. Wouldn't it have been a better movie if actually he'd been rather impressive? But um, Elizabeth makes that choice not to go down that route. But maybe you've got Dudley there doing that. Oh, it's not a big beef. It's just that it doesn't try very hard, the movie, not to go into the good old traditional stereotypes. So my impression for the movie is that he obviously comes to be her suitor. When she rejects him, he then goes to conspire against her, or always was, with Mary of Geist in Scotland, correct? That's what the movie That's what the movie, what the says, movie says. But he doesn't do that. Okay, so she didn't have people who were trying to marry her, essentially to remove her from power. Everybody believes, Cecil believes that people are trying to remove her from power. So there's this... This where is where this great fear arises, which dominates British history for the next 200 years, that there's a Catholic plot about to try and overturn the British-English Protestant monarchy. The actual plot, the Rodolfi plot, comes from externally. It supposedly expects that there will be this big mass Catholic uprising. There's no evidence that that uprising would ever have happened. But they didn't know that. You know, that's hindsight. In fact, the history of Catholicism, you know, the remaining Catholics in England, is that they remain loyal, staunchly loyal to the monarchy. But things like the Rodolfi plot, the gunpowder plot, these all keep these fears current throughout English history. They do enough to keep people paranoid, basically. That's it, really. I mean, essentially, it's it, it makes a bunch of changes. Quick sign up before yep. I forget. So, thinking about what you're saying, with the gunpowder plot... Do you think that they knew about the plot far enough in advance that they could wait until the exact moment that they could appropriately stop it, that seven seconds on the clock to defuse the bomb James Bond style, whereby they get all of the press, they get all of the excitement, they catch them in the act, rather than stopping them in advance and then saying they were going to do it and have them then deny it? Do you know, it. I don't know enough about the gunpowder plot. The gunpowder plot is 1605, yeah, so um, I don't know enough about it. My impression is, but don't please don't kill me on this one, everybody, is that they knew well enough, well in advance. And they let it keep going. And let it keep going. at the right time. For political gain, for better charges. To be able to make to make sure they got everybody, I guess. Yeah. But I'm sort of guessing. But my impression is that the perceived threat was much bigger than the actual threat. There's the odd egregious and silly thing. So at the end of the... There's a bit of text at the end which says England was the richest country in Europe by the her, end of her reign. Well, that's just, you know, tribe. Uh, baloney but i can see why he's doing it but didn't really need to but you know it's a minor quibble so that's it then so but her legacy is kind of unparalleled in, uh, in our kind of her legacy is very history, important correct i mean she's a fascinating figure because her legacy is very important she gets us through the reformation to the other side which is the beginning of anglicanism basically they don't call it that but and would you say that on average she is the most revered She's right monarchs. up there. It's difficult. Think, give me another monarch as revered as Elizabeth. You're struggling, you know. Um, so, absolutely. So then, really, if that's kind of this general impression, and thus is almost truth, if it's kind yeah. of a societal perceived yeah. idea, 
then the movie playing to that and yeah. it, it gives her that strength. You kind of believe that. So when the text adds to it, it's a slam dunk. You know, yeah. if you're going to make a film that the the English public get it get behind, it's Churchill Elizabeth, isn't it? You know, really, you ought to be looking at Henry the Second as one of our greatest monarchs, but you know, hasn't got quite the same ring. Although the line in winter, anyway. So another episode, another episode to look forward to. Basically, why would I recommend anybody to go and see this movie? It's a rattling good movie, lots of action. The basic strands are all there. Elizabeth's intelligence, her understanding of what she needed to do to rule, her attempt to unify the country, the atmosphere of external threat—they're all basically true and they're all there in the movie it's fairly frightening relatively graphic it doesn't shy away from anything so it makes it quite entertaining exciting enthralling and then obviously the performances are brilliant yeah great so there we go so let us mark it as a film then quality of the film i want to know okay what do you think no what do you think i asked first is it better than the full monty I'm going to give it an 8, and okay. the reason I'm going to give it an 8 is probably because, just from a technical aspect of things, the nothing about it particularly excites me cinematography-wise, etc. It's just done really well for what it is, and I just find it really entertaining. Great. Well, I was going to give it a 7, but uh, I'm now going to give it an 8. Because my opinion is... I'm easily left. You value me so oh, highly. Because I value you so highly in yes. your opinion. Can I take you to a nine? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, we'll stay I've got, as an I've got some integrity. But I was I was genuinely concerned that there yeah. might be s- historical accuracies, like inaccuracies, like scattered throughout, that you would then... It would plague there you are. throughout the movie, and, and you would did. struggle to enjoy it. That's why I think I'm putting it down where it is, uh, where I put... Why I put it at seven, because it is played with little inaccuracies, but, in other ha- but on the other hand, they are forgivable kind of inaccuracies. And in the, in the overall kind of perspective of what it's doing, it makes complete sense, yes, right? Yes, the main thrust of what it's saying is absolutely right. Okay, so we're going to go for eight. And then historical accuracy? See, I don't know. Oh, so well, I'm going to go really for six it. on this. And it depends on your approach, because it, it's full of little inaccuracies. Chronology, as I said, chronologies, interiors, exteriors. There, there are loads of little inaccuracies, which are forgivable, but on the other hand, to, to say this is a really historically accurate movie... It's not right, you know, the the detail, there are lots of inaccuracies, so... But would you say it's a very, very, very good representation of Elizabeth herself? Yes. I think it's a lovely um, representation of Elizabeth that shows a transition that is probably Definitely. kind of the thing she went through. She's the best thing in the movie, and the, if, yeah. if she hadn't been so good, if Kate Blanchett wasn't that amazing in the role, the rest of the movie yes. would struggle a little bit. Yeah. Yes, you're absolutely right. If she holds the whole movie together and she makes all those actors work. Her and Jeffrey, I think. Her and Wolfson. And so, and yeah, and everything else around it is is quite enjoyable. Kind of dressing. Yeah, the, it feels for her and her character arc works it's clearly defined gets you to where it needs to go it makes sense that all the stuff to do with the Spanish Armada comes in a later movie you maybe don't need it but it makes sense to not try and include any they found a really good way of ending it with this and the Gloriana thing dressing herself up in white paint she does do that she doesn't quite do it then she doesn't do it at one specific moment but she does do that she creates this image she's probably pushed to it because she gets smallpox so she begins to cover up. You know, there's a process in, in real life. Nonetheless, she consciously creates this image of the uh, immortal Gloriana. And it so, makes a very good way of ending the movie. So even though you rank it down a little bit in yeah. historical accuracy, you're saying that it really 
doesn't affect the quality of the movie yes, that much. Yes, exactly what I'm saying. Yes. Okay, I would agree. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much, everybody. So, what do oh, you think? I want to know what. Oh no, I think. said six. Yes, you said six. I'll agree with you. I'll, yeah, you've just said I'll, six. I'll go with you on that because Excellent. yeah, so seven, so eight and six we're going with. Uh, okay, very good. That's it for this this time. Just let us know if you enjoy Elizabeth. If you think there's better representations, because I'm pretty sure Helen Mirren has done it on television. Ah, yes, that's true. In a very popular version, and she's almost and Glenda Jackson. Maybe somebody's yes. going to say Miranda Richardson. Yeah, Miranda Richardson. Yes. So uh, let us know if this is a film that you enjoy or if you haven't seen it, if you're going to go watch it. Great. Yes, that'd be really good. Um, and it's always good to have a chat. We thoroughly enjoy that bit. So, OK, come and join us on Facebook. So it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 